0: You're downplaying it a little bit. Um, you know, everybody listening and watching today, uh, Kit and James have gone to some extraordinary lengths to get some of the finest uh, minds in the world um, to look at all of this that we've that, that Kit's just mentioned from from energy to food, transportation. Um, you know, the the race to net zero, how how economies and countries and and, and corporations achieve that, what needs to happen to get to that point what are the risks that are involved in doing that, but also the the huge opportunities that that presents. And and what we we continue to see with the crisis that's unfolding at the moment is that. Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. Want to be a better, smarter, more clued up investor? Well, you've come to the right place. We cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the mega trends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning. Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. This is quite an important uh, episode of the podcast this week with so much happening in the world. Um, There's so much to discuss. There's so many avenues we could go down and look at at the moment. But uh, first of all, Kit, welcome again for joining us. Um, Great to have you on board because I will again be calling on your expertise uh, in the energy markets this week because with Russia invading the Ukraine, uh, turmoil and havoc has hit the energy markets. Um, it's it's uh, it's only going to get more volatile, and and who knows exactly where it's going to end up. But I wanted to I wanted to start with a couple of things. So, what we've seen off the back of this invasion, this kickoff of conflict, um, there's a spike in the oil price. Now, there's there's talk that basically globally russia won't be able to sell their oil to anyone anywhere so there will be zero demand for russian oil as the the rest of the world kind of mobilizes to to choke them out financially and and the the oil uh market obviously being one of their primary sources of revenue of gdp for the country is a is a crucial way to to choke them out so to speak so we've seen the price of oil punch comfortably through $100. The Bank of America's calling that it's going to possibly hit $200. Um and you know, if if you go if you wind all the way back to March 2020 when uh the pandemic struck and oil markets were bottoming out. Um, one of the greatest trades probably of the last few decades would have been to go long oil from the bottom of 2020 to today because you would have made an absolute mint. Um, now my question though, is how does this, how does this kind of play out? Because now we're looking at, there seems to be a kind of undercurrent of this, this move that the European countries are now talking more about energy independence. Obviously energy independence was a big thing under the Trump regime. It's kind of seems to have been passed aside during Biden's time in power, Germany's now talking about this idea of energy independence, even though they've got rid of a lot of their nuclear um, generation capacity. They obviously sort of bet their money on on being able to get energy from Russia, but now that's been shut out. Big companies like BP are divesting all of their Russian uh, energy assets. Um, You know, Russian energy companies are tanking. Where does this Where does this end up? Do we is, is this a market now full of opportunities, or are we going to see more short term pain in in the energy markets, uh, where there will again create more opportunities for the long run? How does this kind of play out with with what you're looking at at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously uh, the biggest thing that's happened in the energy markets since COVID. Um, I think you're right to say that there is and will be a continued uh, amount of short term pain and also a, a, an amount of long term opportunity as well. And I think the COVID uh, analogy is quite apt, actually, because when COVID first hit, everyone sort of said our renewables, the transition, it's this luxury thing that we kind of need to do if we have the money and the time. But you know, when there's a real problem, the world will look the other way and focus on what's in front of it. And, you know, James Allen, my colleague and I, we were both saying that actually this is, you know, the opposite. We had this postcard from the future of, uh, lower energy use, lower pollution in our cities. Uh, and it was this sort of incredible sudden revolutionization, uh, uh or galvanization, I should say of energy when it came to transitioning away from fossil fuels, the cop 26 had some of the biggest agreements. Uh, we've seen it in a long time. Uh, and suddenly the energy going into uh, the transition was just enormous. Uh, the stocks involved in the sector rallied incredibly in 2020. And the turnaround, the sudden change of direction from what people thought the pandemic would do to what actually happened was very swift. Uh, and the investment returns were also very powerful. And I think, you know, initially with all of the Ukraine buildup and stuff, Everyone was sort of saying uh, oil, gas, coal, you know, forget your renewables. This is a gas crisis. We need more gas, blah, blah, blah. But suddenly what we're seeing is two things. is Firstly, everyone thinks renewables. They think solar and wind are intermittent because they're not sort of a baseload source of electricity like gas. But we're suddenly realising that gas and oil, they're not quite as reliable as people would have hoped them to be because they're under the control of these uh, extraordinary countries which uh, have you know, uh, a disproportionate amount of control over our heating bills, I suppose you could say. And already just in the the five days since or in the week since last uh, Thursday and Friday, uh, the response we're seeing is very swift. So, you know, figures like Bill McGibbon, who's a big environmentalist and author over in, in America, he's been saying, you know, dig for victory, buy heat pumps. Ameri- America needs to mobilise its industry to build the decarbonisation technologies that will get Europe off Russian gas. The biggest sanction we can impose upon them is to stop buying their fossil fuels because fossil fuels make up 60% of Russian export revenues every year. So they actually need our cash a lot more than we need their gas. And there are avenues for us to decarbonize. And obviously the long-term solution for us is renewables. It's solar, wind, uh hydropower and a few other options as well in the mix. You mentioned nuclear and you know, the sacred cows that are being culled one after another at the moment are are things like Germany's nuclear shutdown. I've seen politicians already discussing whether that's a wise idea in Germany, which, you know, we've seen none of in the last year. Mm. Also, liquid natural gas and gas as a a sort of transition fuel suddenly, with energy security on everyone's minds, you know, Europe will be going to America and begging for liquid natural gas, they'll be ramping up their terminal capacity. And that is a short term fix. So although the long term solution is renewables, Things like energy efficiency, liquid natural gas, and maybe other, any other ways we can sort of reduce our reliance on Russia for now. This is going to be a another swing upwards, I think, in the transition away from coal, away from you know energy unsecurity, and towards hopefully renewables in the long term, with a few short term fixes in between.
0: One of the things I saw was that um, there's going to be an, an increase in uptake of LNG uh, imports from. LNG-rich areas, um, obviously Australia being one of those, so that sort of hits my radar when those those terms, LNG and Australia, get get, get thrown together. But obviously there's an environment. You're not going to get to net zero when you're shipping um, LNG from Australia to the ports in Europe, that's for sure. But it is, a, I think it is a short-term fix. And it certainly for me, I've been running through the ideas of what are the short-term sort of opportunities in this space with all of this kicking off in the energy markets. And it feels like um, obviously... It, it it seems to indicate that with this demand drop off for Russian oil that you're going to see inc- continued increases in price for for um for, for crude for WTI um so I think we'll continue to see increases in those markets I think the LNG so if you look at some of the LNG funds that are out there you know six seven eight percent up daily at the moment. Um, so there's, I think, opportunity in the direct access to some of these resources and commodities, but then obviously the players, the refiners, the, the, the miners that that access some of these, I think there are some of those short-term opportunities. Like you say, there is obviously a long-term fix to get to that point of energy independence. Um, I've, and, 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 and I keep bringing up nuclear because I, I cannot see how countries can achieve energy independence that are not energy and resource rich themselves. They have to bring it in from somewhere else. I can't see how they can achieve that without revisiting the nuclear option. And I think that this is, for a long time, It's and we've discussed this before, And nuclear energy has been very much on the nose. It's a very bad PR campaign. Um, but I've been wondering over many years now, what is the turning point that makes society realise there's actually probably greater benefits from nuclear energy than the perceived detractions of it. And this might be it. This for me might be the turning point where people actually realize that nuclear is not a dirty word, um, but a, a legitimate way to move forward towards energy independence. And I think, I think we're going to see the two of the big themes out the back of this. And I was having, I had a discussion earlier about this with somebody else and, the, the idea that the, if, if Putin stays in power, the, the, the world will not transact with Russia again while he remains in power. That's, that's, that seems to be almost a given. So that's going to crush Rus- Russia's economy and any company that is affiliated or linked to Russia and Putin's regime in any way which then all of a sudden means that those the demand for energy and the demand for all of these resources and materials around the rest of the world doesn't stop but anything they used to get from Russia they now have to get from somewhere else and that's where i think you, people should be looking short term but like you said the long term renewable solution is is key and i think i think we might be seeing a nuclear Resurgence. I hope we are see, going to see a nuclear resurgence because I think that's a big opportunity. So we're talking about uranium, uranium miners, some of the the big nuclear companies that are putting these things together. Um, does that? I mean, does does nuclear fall into what you guys are, are looking at for the opportunities as part of all of this? I know you and James have been working on a on a pretty. Pretty important project recently, which is uh, which is about to go live. Which maybe you could tell our readers a little bit more in detail about today. We kind of alluded to it the other week. Um, does does, does this, do all of these things fall into what you guys are looking at, or are you are you keeping it the, the lane pretty narrow, or or how how broad and, and how much opportunity do you see from from what's happening at the moment?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, currently we are experiencing a, a Russo-Ukrainian crisis. Uh, two years ago, we had a a pandemic crisis, but overshadowing all of these things is a climate crisis. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, as we mentioned, sixty percent of Russian export revenues come from fossil fuels if you're the leader of that country and you see your biggest customers promising that they're absolutely going to transition as quickly and effectively away from those fuels as they possibly can, you start to sort of see the end. Putin has not tried to diversify the Russian economy. He's doubled down on uh, fossil fuel and commodity exports. And, you know, they're looking down a pretty bleak path economically if the transition goes ahead. So that will be playing into the Ukrainian crisis. uh, And uh, as we mentioned as well, the climate crisis and the pandemic, seem to intertwine in people's minds where their pandemic just triggered them to take the climate crisis so much more seriously. And the the pledges, the social, political and financial support we've seen since the pandemic are, you know, incredible. There's been a step change in in the pace of those things. And to be honest, it's yet to be explained exactly what that psychological link is, why one crisis triggered a response to another. But it's certainly been very good uh, in that very narrow sense. Um, on the nuclear question... It's a classic side of two debates. I mean, where I always end up is nuclear is pretty expensive to build a new plant. The the smaller, cheaper technologies known as small modular reactors are maybe 5, 10, probably 15 years away from being commercially viable and maybe a few extra years away from making a real difference to carbon emissions. But at the same time, nuclear is, once it's already been built a source of electricity that causes no harm to human health in the form of sort of pollutants and emissions in the air and it causes no harm to the planet either apart from the the issue obviously of uranium waste and how that's stored but that is manageable uh and so compared to things like coal and gas for firing electricity it's so vastly superior that we need to maintain the plants that we currently have and i think that's the priority and everyone's talking about germany with good reason this crisis more than any shows that it it would be very foolish to shut down the nuclear plants for you know, immediate reasons and for long-term climate reasons as well. Um, And yeah, I can go in and talk a little bit more about what James and I have been working on. You talked about the breadth. I think another topic in the the Russo-Ukrainian crisis is food. So two commodities that have been soaring in recent uh, days so far this week, uh, or, you know, just very specifically this week is wheat and corn. Broadly, food commodities over the last year have been a, a driver and a victim of the inflation that we've seen uh, in the UK, in Europe, in America, all over the world. Uh, and, you know, as we know, uh, food prices rising are a very, very bad thing for everyone. Food and energy, the two the two last things you'd want to go up have been rising steeply. But wheat and corn specifically, I think uh, corn uh, and wheat are key exports of Ukraine. So Ukraine is responsible for 16% of global corn export exports uh, and 12% of global wheat supply. So they're key commodities from this region. Uh, and it's going to be a huge sort of factor from the russo ukrainian crisis as well but you talk about decarbonization and food is one of those massively underestimated things there as well i think it's responsible for anywhere between depending on who you ask uh 15 and 30% the uh the data platform our world in data they have it at 26% of global emissions come from the food industry and that's you know deforestation to build the, to grow the soy to feed the cows it's the land use change it's transportation packaging its the carbon emissions from all the vehicles involved. Uh, and it's also a massive issue with food waste as well, where all those emissions that go into producing food, something like 15,000 tons of carbon are needed for every kilo of beef and 17,000 liters of water as well. So it's a water crisis as much as anything else. Um, you know, we waste a third of our food after all those emissions. And after all that water that we use to, to grow it or rear it, um, and we're speaking about energy today, but the the race to net zero, the the goal to decarbonize the global economy so that we get to uh, a sort of sustainable footing in how we operate on this planet, that is not going to happen with, you know, gas instead of coal. It's not going to happen by turning Germany's nuclear plants back on. And it's not going to happen by getting our entire national grids to 100% renewable solar, wind, nuclear and hydro, because that's not enough. That's, you know, 20 to 40% of global emissions come from the energy system. Everything else is is still rolling on. And, you know, food, resources, how we extract the metals and the minerals that we need to uh, fuel our consumer habits, which are a great thing. You know, capitalism has delivered uh, more wealth than anything else in history. It's pulled more people out of poverty than anything in history. So we want to find ways to continue our current operating system, but on a more sustainable fit- footing and uh, yeah, looking at food, looking at resources, looking at transport, sort of broadening out that out is something James and I have been looking a lot at, uh, have been looking a lot at, I should say. And um, yeah, we've collected a few people. Uh, you might know one of them very well, Sam. Uh, just, to, just to interview them on this sort of broader sustainability revolution, the way in which, you know, the energy transition is expanding, the way in which low cost renewables are enabling companies in every sector to decarbonize their operations and become more sustainable. And, uh, whether it's experts in sustainable, responsible and ethical investing, or whether it's technology wizards like yourself, uh, and Owen Tracy, uh, or whether it's authors on, you know, the incredible transitions that that are happening in food in solar, uh, or in resources, we've collected six uh, brilliant guests, and we're hoping to, to host some of our listener listeners and readers from today, uh, to a sort of investor investor conference that starts. Uh, on Monday, the 14th of March, uh, we'll sort of release the videos through the course of the week. Uh, It's a completely free conference, but it's just sort of examining all of these fascinating themes that you and I talk about every week. But, you know, with real experts from the field, going in depth with them on the sort of the, the challenges, the risks, and of course, the opportunities for investors that go with them. So yeah, I conducted those interviews. Uh, I think we got some really great guests in. I'm really excited to share them with everyone. Uh, and I think uh, I'm hoping that we can get a link below this video somewhere so that if yep. people like what they hear and can sign up, they should be able to do so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're downplaying it a little bit. Um, you know, everybody listening and watching today, uh, Kit and James have gone to some extraordinary lengths to get some of the finest uh, minds in the world um, to look at all of this that we've that kids just mentioned from from energy to food transportation um you know the the race to net zero how how economies and countries and, and and corporations achieve that what needs to happen to get to that point what are the risks that are involved in doing that but also the the huge opportunities that that presents and and what we we continue to see with the crisis that's unfolding at the moment is that Markets are volatile when these sorts of events happen, but there are ways for investors to continue to build wealth off the back of them. We talked at the top about, you know, the, the, the oil price and some of the great trades that you could have made out of that and LNG. And obviously it expands further than that. We talked about nuclear, but then, uh, you know, like you mentioned as well, hydro, solar, all of those kinds of technologies that are not slowing down and are not regressing, but are continuing to progress and improve the technologies and innovation in that space. And, and as uh, as Kit's mentioned, there's a a, a week long um, uh, investor broadcast that's going out. Um, that uh, there will be a link, as I say, below this video uh, in the in the email that's being sent to uh, that will give you access to to that broadcast. Um, I I know some of the people that uh, Kit has spoken to, uh, as he mentioned, one of them being me. Um, and I think it's it's a must-watch if you want to understand what's happening in this space, what's really going on, where the opportunities lie, cut through all the the garbage that you see in mainstream media, which is just clickbaity. And you really want to understand how, as an investor, you can sort of protect yourself from some of these risks, but also manage them and find the opportunities. Then um, by all means, you know, make sure you've signed up to that investor broadcast. It's going to be, uh, as Kit mentioned, free to access. So you just need to pop your name down. Uh, It'll be a free week-long broadcast with, as I say, some of the finest minds in the world talking about all these opportunities. Uh, I think you would be bonkers to miss it. Um, if, If anything, it is going to empower you and provide you with a greater level of understanding about what is really happening in these markets. Um, I think it's a must watch. So make sure you get your name down on that um, for that investor broadcast. As I said, there'll be links all around for you to 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 see and click on to make sure that you get access to that. Um, but thanks again for joining us this week, Kit. Uh, can't wait for that uh, investor broadcast to go live. I hope everyone gets their name down for it. A lot of great information to come over the next week uh, in relation to that, and then obviously the broadcast itself. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We'll be back with you again next week with another Exponential Investor podcast. No doubt this Russian-Ukrainian conflict will continue uh, and there'll be plenty more to unveil and and talk about um, as, as the situation unfolds over the coming weeks. So thanks again for joining us and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now.